You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I usually like to start off the show um, with sort of NFL news, kind of get that out of the way and whatnot, then move on to Packer stuff, etc., etc. And, um, man, I just feel like way too often in the last year I have started off the show talking about the passing of a young football player and I just don't I don't understand the latest I've seen I know there are some theories that are possibly out there but I don't see that anything's confirmed so I'm not going to comment on it but uh, Ravens edge rusher Jalen Ferguson has died at 26 years old Port goes on to say, as a redshirt senior at Louisiana Tech, Ferguson led the nation in sacks 17 and a half and finished second in tackles for a loss. The Ravens selected Ferguson in the third round of the 2019 draft. In three years, he totaled 31 hurries and four sacks, operating from the edge. Details are not yet known regarding Ferguson's tragic passing. Our thoughts are with his loved ones. I saw that he had three kids, so make sure you say a prayer for those kids, because I can't even, I can't even fathom. Otherwise, in NFL news, um... Nothing super interesting going on. There's the Washington thing, which I just am choosing not to talk about. There's the Cleveland situation, which I'm just choosing not to talk about. Other than that, though, um, I think the only big thing would be Chris Godwin, the wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Apparently, he may start on the pup list, which means he would miss six weeks if that is the case. Um, The question, I guess, kind of comes down to being torn between, on one hand... They just signed him to a really big extension, which means they plan on having him for a long time and for a lot of money. So you want to make sure he's coming back 100% healthy. On the other hand, Tom Brady came back probably his last year, so there's probably going to be some desire to push him back. So I don't know where the Buccaneers fall on that, but we've been talking the last couple days about, I mean, just the news have been coming up about the Buccaneers, and um, obviously I would be happy if they don't perform very well for obvious reasons. No offense to Tommy and and Chris Godwin and all the fellas, but this here's a Packers podcast, and all we care about is them winning and not the Buccaneers, so sorry to Chris, but um, my vote is just take it easy and uh, make sure you get back 100% healthy, so we'll see what they do. In regards to some some Packers news, there are some construction projects going on at Lambeau Field. Nothing super interesting for fans. Uh, for the, I mean, the larger part of this is underground parking for the players, expanding the practice facility, and then moving some of the offices around, um, which, again, none of that is super interesting for fans. I know there's some implication as far as players 
somebody had mentioned a while ago about this project that, you know, one of the benefits is, you know, the players all leave and the fans can kind of see them. I actually kind of experienced that on accident. We were just trying to get out of there and there was a storm coming and everything else. And there's all these people standing around and there's all these big black SUVs leaving. It's like, oh, this is the players and coaches and stuff. But I think what they're saying is that that won't be a thing anymore. I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming they got to come out of there somewhere. So I'm guessing you can go stand over where they're coming out and go see them over there. I don't know. But that may be interesting information for people that do that. However, there are some other things, kind of a little bit more um, long-term vision. They're going to be shoring up supports. Just that's all they're doing this year. But it's so that later when they start kind of phase two of the project, they're going to be adding a larger video scoreboard. And then they do have some um, minor renovations to the concourse and concession stands. So that pertains to us. Also, if you're planning on or even thinking about going to the game over in London, you're going to get your first shot on June 28th, so set your alarm, set your clock, set your calendar, whatever you got to set. I don't know how long those things are going to be sticking around, but um, June 28th is the day you're going to want to pounce on those, get some good tickets. I will not see you there, but I wish you the absolute best. And then finally, we've got some uh, training camp news. we got the whole schedule rolled out, and um, fortunately for me, I believe this is going to be Zach Cruz, and it is, he kind of laid it out in a nice little easy way that I can convey it to you. But bottom line is, practice starts July 27th, which is um, incredibly depressing because <laughs> that's a long way away. That is the first of 12 open practices, for those that are wondering. The rookies will report to camp five days earlier on the 22nd. Veterans will come in the 26th, so the day before. So nothing really super interesting is probably going to be happening before the 27th anyways. But, you know, just just the report of, hey, people are coming in and, you know, here's the weird office shirt that Rogers wore. I don't know. There's, there's at least something to talk about on the 26th. But basically until the 27th, this is it, man. The shareholders meeting is the 25th, so... Um, just a couple days before, I was invited, got the old tickets and all that stuff. Don't think I'm going to be going. I know, I know. I'm a loser and a shut-in and all that. That's fine. I mean, I get to watch it on my computer, so there's that. I need to drive all the way to Green Bay and sit there. But uh, that starts at 11 o'clock, and there's a whole lot of new shareholders now, 175,000 new shareholders. So expecting to see a lot more people there. Plus, you figure first-time shareholders are probably going to be more likely to want to run up there because they've never experienced it before because it usually looks pretty like that stadium is is it's not even worth mentioning that it doesn't look full it's not even close it's it looks empty let's put it that way but it'll be interesting to see because again I, I have a feeling that since they just sold stock there might be a little bit of a rush of people be kind of cool family night is set for august 5th i did do that once be careful who you bring especially if you have like a two-year-old that's a little crazy that was a heck of an experience um, as far as being awful. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was nice. The, one, um, the, the two strongest memories I have, number one, they gave us these little blow-up, you know, wavy yellow things, and my daughter was hitting the people with it. So we had to confiscate all those from her and try to hide them from her because she'd just get down, grab them, and start smacking people with them again. And then uh, during the national anthem when she started screaming. And I swear I saw people across the stadium look up at me. So that was that was great. You think one other person on family night would have a kid screaming during the anthem? Nope, just mine. But it was a fun environment and the fireworks and it was great having with the laser show. My my other kids there and they enjoyed it and it was it was a lot of fun. But again, that's August fifth, scheduled for seven thirty PM. That's the other thing to keep in mind. It is very late. It doesn't start until basically your kids go to bed. <laughs> or my kids go to bed. I don't know what time your kids go to bed. But uh, ten dollar tickets for the event will go on sale June twenty ninth. 
So we've got a couple days for that. Uh, it's not a true scrimmage anymore, which is a little bit sad, but it's fine. It's it's just it's a fun event. There is joint practices with the Saints, which I keep forgetting about. That's pretty exciting. That is going to be set for um, August 16th and August 17th. So that'll be extra interesting. I know everybody's kind of split on that in terms of supporting it or being against it. Obviously, the um, con, the negative here is this is, from a cost-benefit standpoint, this is stupid, right? I, I know there's benefit. The intensity level goes up, the, uh, you know, switching it up, you, you beat up on the same guys every day, you kind of get stuck into this rhythm or this habit, and different guys bring different challenges, and you just kind of need that, you know? Somebody that just does not care about you and does not have your best well-being at hand across from you just trying to kill you, um, it can kind of wake you up a little bit. And again, just you go up against better competition and um, in some cases, but just different can, can just make you more ready. So there, there are some benefits, but I think the overall benefit, considering the potential risk, is um, probably a little bit higher in the risk column. And it's, it's always the same thing every year where all it takes is one injury for everyone to say, see, this is why it's stupid. Now, granted, you can get injured doing this against your other, your own team. I mean, there, there, there has to be a point at which you say we're willing to risk injury so that we can be prepared. Because if you're not prepared, you're not going to win. You have to practice. You have to compete. You have to hit people. You have to be hit. You have to throw with velocity. You have to catch fast passes. You have to catch with people bearing down on you. I mean, these are things you got to prepare for. That's true, you know, in training camp, that's true in the preseason, that's true in, you know, practice prior to the week when some people occasionally get hurt, even though it's half speed or whatever it is doing, you know, during the practices, you have to be willing to take on some level of risk. And so it really is just a sliding scale on one end of the scale, everybody's perfectly healthy, but your team sucks. And on the other end of the scale, your team is as ready as is humanly possible, but your, your risk for injury is, is much higher. And I never know where to put that. And so what I generally do is I just sit here and root for football. I root for news and information and fun, and I leave it up to the coaches to decide the level of of comfort that they have with these things. And if the coaches are comfortable with doing these scrimmages, then I'm happy because I want them. That's where I fall on all this. Because I certainly am not going to be able to determine, you know, where everybody should be on these things. And even I would vacillate because I want this team to be a, a absolute Goliath, you know. I want to bring back two-a-days. I want to make sure they're grinding and they're in there every day and they're doing all these things. But at the same time, it, again, it takes one injury for me to realize, eh, maybe I was wrong. Especially a critical injury. Rogers, Bakhtiari, Rashan, which would just be, I don't even want to talk about it. Actually, let's talk about it. Um, I'm, I'm going to risk Jinx here. Is that the most devastating loss we can have? I, th- I think it's I think it is, and I don't think it's close. Now that I'm thinking about it, Kenny Clark, I don't think um, can touch it. Not only because I I honestly think Rashawn is more valuable than Kenny, but just because of the the you know we at least have somewhat of a defensive line there. No offense to Preston, but I'm just you know even if you look at Jair, yeah, but we got a couple other guys that we like, we can trust. Amos might be pretty brutal, but I think positional value would still put you toward Rashawn much more heavily than Adrian Amos. I mean, you know, there's obviously Rodgers, but I think if we're talking non-Rodgers, that would be the most devastating. And if we're going super pessimistic, optimistic, if Rodgers gets hurt, at least we got a shot to replace him. Because <laughs> we're going to win three games. Sorry, Jordan Love, I just, you know, 
I'd be I'd love it if you proved me wrong. Believe me. If Rodgers got hurt in training camp for the season and Jordan Love led us to 11 wins, love you, Rodgers, but, uh, you know, it's been fun. Anyways, after that, we've got the um, open practices, which are fun for a lot of people that like to attend them in person. And having never been there, I would still encourage you to go if you would like to, because it sounds like it's a lot of fun. Plus, you get to see in person. You know, I, I get a lot of this secondhand information. But just like everything else, it's always good to get your own perspective on things. So if you're able to go, you should check it out. But either way, if nothing else, these are these are big news days. So the open dates are July 27th, 28th, July 30th, then August 1st and 2nd, 4th and 5th, 7th and 8th, 10th, and then 16th and 17th. The 5th is family night, and then the 16th and 17th, the final two practices, are the joint practices with the Saints. It does, does say dates are subject to change. Times are still being determined. And then after that, we've got our preseason games, August 12th, the 49ers at 7.30 p.m. This is all central time. August 19th, we got the Saints at 7 o'clock Central, and then um, the 25th, we play the Kansas City Chiefs at 7 o'clock. Um, generally, every year I have the same feeling toward the preseason. I am so, 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 so excited. I cannot wait. We get to watch real football. I don't even care that it's backups. I want to see the backups. I want to see these guys play at a high level, and usually by halftime, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I don't know why. Even just sitting here now, I'm thinking, how could you not care? I, you know... It's awesome, it's exciting, let's see what they can do, but yeah, it usually just comes down to, nah, I've seen enough. I'll, I'll watch it, but, you know, my ability to stay intrigued is diminished. Um, some other big dates, the uh, August 16th, the Packers have to get five players cut, down to 85. Five more players need to be cut by the 23rd, getting down to 80. And then the big cut is by August 30th, they need 27 more players cut to get down to 53. Uh, they will be doing the bike rides, which is a long-standing tradition. It's stupid, but I think it's important. There's not going to be St. Norbert's this year because they're doing uh, construction or whatever, so I don't exactly know how that works anyways, but they're going to be riding their bikes from somewhere to the practice field. And so if you've been doing that, feel free to keep doing it. Have your kids bring their bikes and whatnot, and it's a very fun tradition. Anyways, I wanted to comment on an article I found here Um and I promise you this is going to dovetail into the Packers because I know some people are going to roll their eyes when I mention that this article talks about Justin Fields. <laughs> but it it just got me thinking and it, it gave me a uh, gave me an excuse and so, something interesting to look at as far as this SIS subscription that I paid for and would like to use as much as possible. And uh, I found some interesting information, but if I can at the same time talk about an interesting statistic about... Rodgers and the Packers, but while I'm doing that, while I'm reaching out to you with information, I just happen to graze across the face of of Justin Fields and the Bears fans with force and velocity and malice. I'm going to do that. Here is the article by Chris Towers of CBSSports.com. 2022 Bears Fantasy Football Preview. Is there enough here for Justin Fields to live up to his potential? Now, again, I, 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 let, me, let me start with this. I don't know what's going to happen with Justin Fields, right? I was scared of Mitch Trubisky for however many years he was there, four years. I, every year I thought this could be the year, and that would suck. And I'm going to do that with Justin Fields. He might just absolutely shred our faces off. The biggest issue, obviously, is that he has nobody to do that with, but it doesn't really matter. If he comes out and is just, you know, Joe Burrow with no weapons, 
or Justin Herbert or any of these young guys, then that that sucks no matter what because they'll find wide receivers, they'll find an offensive line, they'll make it work well enough to at least give him a Russell Wilson situation. Here's a receiver and nothing else. Best of luck. It is entirely possible, and I will grant any Bears fan that any day of the week. The 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 only thing, and I listen, I do this for Packer fans too, and you guys know I do, and you get mad at me, right? Stop talking to those guys. Stop yelling at Packer fans. Stop that. I get it, right? But when I hear people that are too optimistic, that keep giving lame excuses for things, you know, the whole when healthy, it's like, no, it's not when healthy. The guy's not a good football player. He might become a good football player, but he hasn't been a good football player. That was the Kevin King thing, right? I'm, I'm basically doing to Justin Fields what I did with Kevin King. It's just much better this time because he happens to be a bear and it feels good to attack a bear as opposed to a Packer. But the issue with Kevin King was the guy wasn't good and Packer fans got mad and said, yes, he is. He's just been hurt. Once he gets healthy, though, he's a stud. We've seen it, right? Because that one time he shut down Julio Jones, fantastic game by Kevin King, probably the only good game the guy's ever had. That's a lie and unfair, but I'm just saying. So it just became this thing, and I just got annoyed with all the excuses. And it's like, listen, all I'm asking is that you acknowledge the guy's not good. He might be sometime, but he's not good. But all we get is excuses. It was the coach's fault. It was this. And if, if we can just get competent people that do obvious things that even the most basic fan could understand, he's going to be great. That's not how that works. So here we go, more excuses, and I happen to have data on it. And since people don't have data, they just have speculations. And granted, these are probably um, fair thoughts, good thoughts and all that, but data is more important. And again, I know this is a fantasy football article, but we're not really interested in that. Here is how it starts. The Bears got rid of Matt Nagy after another disappointing season, but it's fair to wonder if the issues here was coaching as much as a lack of offensive talent. The loss of Allen Robinson without an obvious replacement doesn't help, and it puts a lot of pressure on Fields to carry an offense he may not be ready to. On the other hand, his skill set is very fantasy-friendly if he can take advantage of it. So all this I'm on board with. The stuff that he can do with his legs, I mean, if, if he learns to utilize that, this guy is, he's another one of those guys similar to many Packers where I forget how fast he is. It's stupid fast. And if nothing else, he can be one of those frustrating guys that, like, he can't do anything but run, but he still does it, and he does it well, and it still hurts us. And I don't need to explain to Packer fans how much it stings to watch a quarterback who can't find anybody open take off running. And at first you're excited because he's been standing in the pocket for five seconds. And you're like, ha ha, you got nothing. We're about to get him and all that. And then he starts running and it's like, okay, tackle him, tackle him, please, please. It's fourth and 45. Please don't let he get 60 yards. Kind of an exaggeration, but not really. Again, I don't need to explain to you. So fantasy friendly makes sense. Um, you know, can't 100% blame coaching because the talent, da, 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 right? Got it, 100%. Here's the part that I found interesting. And again, there's nothing wrong with this general thought, um, but they just don't take it quite far enough. It says, number to know, 67. The Bears ran just 67 read option rushes last season, per profootballfocus.com, an inexcusably low number for a team with Justin Fields as the primary quarterback. They also just ran 64 run pass option plays, which is, again, far too few for a player with Fields' skill set and limitations. Fields was too often left either dropping back in traditional passing situations or tucking the ball on designated runs that keyed the defense into play call, into the play call early enough to smother him, whatever. So the point is, and again, I've heard Bears fans and everybody else say this, it, it's very simple how to fix this. That's that's the thing I don't like. It's it's a simple fix, and Matt Nagy's too stupid to know how to do it. First of all, you got to understand how absurd that is. And I understand there are coaches that do dumb things. They don't make the right calls. There are times when 95% of fans are watching the television and say, you should do this, and he decides to go with the 5%. 
and he ends up being wrong, and everybody says that was stupid. And even the coach will probably acknowledge, yep, that was stupid, right? Uh, not running the ball with Marshawn Lynch immediately comes to mind. With the one caveat that if they complete the pass, it's going to be considered one of the most brilliant play calls of all time because the entire defense is keyed in on Marshawn Lynch. But still, right? Everybody said, everybody looked at that. Everybody said, Marshawn's going to get it and he's going to score, obviously, because he's Marshawn freaking Lynch. And this is the easiest thing in the world for him to be able to get this. It doesn't matter how many people they put in the box. This is going to be a touchdown. All right, so those things do happen. But I also want to look at this and say, when you're talking about an, an NFL coach at Matt Nagy's caliber, I know he's he's considered a laughing stock at these days because of what happened with the Bears, which again, we put all the blame on Matt Nagy. Maybe some of it had to do with the players and the ownership doing a terrible job of player acquisition, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea that he's too stupid to understand that, you know, running more run pass options or read options is going to fix this offense, and he just doesn't know that, while everybody else, including a, a lay person, could easily see that, I doubt it. I have a pretty good idea that he knows that those things are available to him. In fact, they ran them, they observed them, they graded them, they understand what is needed to be able to run those, not just the quarterback, not just looking at his limitations, but the strengths of our team, the strengths of the defenses and all these things. And he came to the conclusion that it wasn't necessarily that easy to just call that all the time and go win. It's possible he's just that big of a dummy that, you know, when we do this thing, it just works brilliantly. And he's like, nah, I don't like that play. It's all the way at the back of the playbook. I got to keep flipping back there. I don't want to have to go all the way back. I'm not doing it. Continuing on. The new offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, joins the Bears after being the passing game coordinator for the Packers, and that offers reasons to be optimistic. The Packers were fifth in the league in RPO last season with 139, so I'd expect that to be a bigger part of the offense, putting Fields in more easy situations to either pick up yards with his legs or easy completions. So again, now we're kind of blending into Bears slash Packers news. First of all, there you go. Fifth in RPOs, I didn't know that. I do want to, again, pause here, though, because there's still now layers of flaws in this thinking. Number one, we're assuming that RPOs will fix Justin Fields and the Bears. You can't assume that. All we know is the Bears didn't do it much, the Packers did do it a lot, and the Packers offensive coordinator is coming to Green Bay. And the second flaw is assuming that, you know, the, how do I say this? The Packers are going to do, Getsy's going to do the same thing with Justin Fields because it's just how he does things and because it's successful. It's also entirely possible that it would be successful in Green Bay based on other factors. Running an RPO is dependent on more than just quarterback and his abilities. It's not just a matter of, well, our quarterback sucks, so let's run RPOs. Because that's easy for everybody. It's an easy play, and then you just execute it and you win. That's not how that goes. The offensive line has to be involved. Not just the quality of the offensive line, but teaching and training and getting them to understand how this works. The timing, everything, right? The quarterback, the tight ends, the wide receivers, the running backs, everybody has to be not only up to speed, but you got to just look at the at the pile of players you have and say, is this the best way to utilize this talent? And maybe it is just from Justin Fields' standpoint, but it could be an overall detriment to the team. I don't know. I'm not the guy to answer that question. All I'm saying is it's it's flawed thinking to simply say the Bears didn't run RPOs. RPOs are good plays to run for quarterbacks that are athletic, but not good throwers, which is what they're politely trying to hint at here. 
Packers did it a lot. The Bears didn't. That's why the Bears weren't successful. The Packers guy's coming over, so the Packers will run this. The Packers guy will run it in Chicago, and it will be successful, right? There's just a lot of assumptions built into that. And he says that. He says assuming throughout this article. In fact, the very next sentence, I'm also assuming we'll see more creativity in how he uses the run game, and it's not entirely out of the question he takes a leap similar to where Jalen Hurts was last season. An inconsistent but often highly effective fantasy quarterback who makes up for a lack of weapons in the passing game with a high volume volume rushing production. That's the hope, at least. So again, generally I understand that. Generally I agree with a lot of it, and I don't disagree with any of it other than the assumptions. Right, to go on to say that it's criminal that they didn't run this more often. Maybe it's not criminal, maybe it was the right decision. Well, why don't we pop over to SIS real quick, looking at his passing ability, because they do have on here drop type, not just 0 to 1 step, 3 step, 5 step, 7 step, and all this designated rollout spike, all that. They have RPO and read option pass. Now again, I understand read option run is another element to this, but we're going to look at his passing ability and see if, if running these things is something that he was successful at, because if it is, you've got something there. If it's a matter of, again, Justin Fields was really, really bad overall as a quarterback. However, he was really, really bad in these categories, but he was great in these categories. They just didn't do it. If that's the case, you've got a real strong case to to be made. But why don't we look at it? First of all, let's look at attempts, um, or, or just, let's say, dropbacks, which is attempted attempts. Um, I don't have percentages but we have raw numbers. And I understand Justin Fields didn't play every week, so they're going to be generally kind of low, but it'll give you kind of an idea of where guys are at. And if you look at this list, um, Patrick Mahomes was number one with 78, Ben Roethlisberger, 76, Tua, 73, Aaron Rodgers, 63. So I want to pause there because there's a couple different things to, to notice. First of all, lots of different teams with different styles of quarterbacks running this. It's not mobile quarterbacks that suck at throwing right? Because Ben Roethlisberger is the most immobile quarterback in the history of the universe. Now, you could say quarterbacks that are struggling, that need a little bit extra help. You got Tua and Ben there, but you also have Pat Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, arguably the two top quarterbacks in the NFL. I said arguably, just let me have it, all right? So it's hard to pinpoint any one reason. You've got different styles of offenses, but I think the more important thing is there's different levels of success. Pat Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, the Packers and the Chiefs run it a lot, and it works very, very well for them. They basically did this, this experiment that they're talking about, taking a young guy that's struggling, doesn't have necessarily a a real um, massive amount of talent around him, into a tongue of Iloa. He actually probably ran it more than anybody, because although he's at 73 compared to Pat Mahomes' 78, he did it in 12 games compared to Pat Mahomes' 17. So on a per-game basis, I don't think you can touch Tua. So the, the Miami Dolphins did exactly what the Chicago Bears are screaming, that they should have done with Fields. The problem is Tua has not been successful. So again, it's not a fix-all. I'm not saying it's a bad plan. I'm not saying it's not worth trying. I'm not saying, hey, it's, it's at least better than nothing. Whatever. Mix it up. Try it out. See how it goes. It's not a fix-all. It's not as though everybody that runs this most often is most successful. It's not as though young, talented, mobile quarterbacks are, are successful with this. It's not. Tua is still struggling. This one little tweak did not fix everything. But then again, finally, Aaron Rodgers being up this high, very interesting. In order to find Justin Fields, you got to scroll down quite a bit. Um, he is ranked 30th. He only played four games, but he only had 10 attempts. So, you know, two and a half per game or whatever. So again, if we assume that this would have made the offense better, then yes, it was an absolute abdication of duty 
to have him in just a straight drop back passing situation type offense. But why don't we look at some of the numbers? Completion percentages. Using again, we're talk we're looking at RPOs and read option. This is out of 38 quarterbacks who had at least six attempts um, with these types of passes. Out of 38, Justin Fields ranked 36th. Aaron Rodgers, 7th. Now again, as we go through this, because this is going to be a similar pattern, again you have to ask the question, can we assume that there's going to be a lot of RPOs in Chicago simply because they did it a lot in Green Bay? When you look at the fact that Aaron Rodgers thrives in this style of offense, thrives with these style of plays, whether that be based on Rodgers and what he does, or the offense as a whole, or the, the other players around him, the offensive line, the wide receivers, whatever. Because the, 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 the fact of the matter is, when you run more RPOs, you don't get more success. You get more of whatever you get. So when I look at this and I see Aaron Rodgers is a top three, top five RPO passer, the more you do it, the more you get top five Rodgers. The more you run this, the more you get bottom three Justin Fields. There's a difference. If you look at catchable percentage, he ranks 37th out of... 38. Only 71% of his passes were even catchable. Aaron Rodgers ranks ninth, but technically he's like second. Everybody above him was 100%. He's at, what, 91, 97? 96.6% catchable pass rate. I mean, and that's part of the reason why everybody wants this, because when this is run successfully, these are layups. Jalen Hurts had 46 attempts. 100% of his passes were catchable. Out of 46 Sam Darnold, 100% of 21. Colt McCoy, 100% of his 11. Teddy Bridgewater, 100% of his 12. Aaron Rodgers at 96.6% was on 63 passes. So what, one was not catchable? If you look at adjusted net yards per attempt, which as I've said is one of the uh, biggest correlating numbers to how good a quarterback is as far as as numbers go. Um, Out of 38 quarterbacks, Justin Fields ranks 38th. 1.2 is his adjusted net yards per attempt. Again, these are per attempt numbers. These are percentages. This is not this is not cumulative. Well, he didn't do as many attempts. Well, doesn't matter. This is per attempt. If you look at uh, passer rating, another you know fairly decent comprehensive number. Aaron Rodgers is sixth. 125.1 is his passer rating on RPOs and read options. But I don't know how often he's actually running that. Justin Fields is 37th out of 38. His passer rating is a 56.3. So, again, it's it's a nice theory, and we, we like to have these theories about, you know, we should be doing this more often or that more often. Maybe there's a reason we're not doing it more often. If your quarterback has a 56 passer rating when he's doing RPOs and read option passes, maybe it's just not a good idea to get more of that. I don't know if you want more of that. And then if we look at SIS's overall comprehensive, if you want to call it grades, you can, but they're war and they're par grades. It's kind of just their overall grades on, on players or whatever. They have Aaron Rodgers as number two. Jalen Hurts is number one. Aaron Rodgers, number two. Justin Fields, they have 27th. So, you know, first of all, again, interesting information as far as the Packers are concerned. I didn't personally know they were running it that much, and it's good to know that it was a successful thing. Kind of gets the gears turning a little bit in terms of um, the offense in general, but also it, it just kind of is a reminder that not everything is just based on, I think we as fans a lot of times have a Mike McCarthy mentality as much as we like to think we don't. 
The Mike McCarthy mentality is get good players, line them up, and just have them go win. The reason I say fans have a Mike McCarthy mentality is because we look at our players and say they're not good enough to just line up and win. Therefore, they can't win. Therefore, our offense is going to be bad. That's a Mike McCarthy mentality. It completely leaves the equation of scheme out of it. Finding ways to utilize the talent and get these guys open. Christian Watson is just raw talent, right? He's a tall, fast guy, but he needs some work. But we can find ways to just simply take advantage of the skills that he has for now. Cobb has a particular set of skills. Amari has some. Lazard has some. It's why it makes no sense that the Packers are undefeated without Devontae, yet it's true. Because there's more to football than just get the biggest, strongest guys you can, line them up, and, and tell them go win. Right? The best defenses win with creativity a lot of times. I mean, there's talent, no question about it. But it's also just about the right scheme with the right guys and the right plays at the right time. You know, the Rams have had, I've said this a thousand times, the Rams have had so many deficiencies on that defense. They have Aaron Donald, and they have some corners. But Aaron Donald isn't just enough to make a good defense. Linebackers are bad, outside linebackers are bad, and he doesn't really have a lot of help along that defensive line. And even the corners are, are, yes, they're good, but they're playing better than what they are, which is a function of the scheme and putting guys in the right position to play well. Because if we're just looking at on paper, which is what we do far too often, we're, we're not going to have the right picture. It's the reason why I refuse to accept that the Chiefs kept having a good defense. It doesn't make sense. They're not good football players. These are not good players. Really? Because their defense is good. They're not good players. I don't understand this. Obviously, you want the best players available. But winning is going to come down to doing the best with what you have. Now, if you happen to have really good players and you do the best with those, it's going to be hard to beat that. But the Packers do have good players. MVP quarterback one of the best rush pass, uh, running back duos in football, real solid offensive line, which we're not exactly sure how good it can be, but it's it's got some potential. We know we have some talent at wide receiver. We have a lot of talent along the defense. It just comes down to the coaches, getting them ready, getting them prepared, and putting them in the right spots, utilizing them properly. And Justin Fields sucks. So, Anyways, probably should go ahead and take a break here. It is getting quite late. Um, had a lot of stuff had to get done today, but uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Packernet Podcast and all that, et cetera, et cetera, and all that good stuff. Um, piggybacking on all the uh, articles, this, that, and the other, another one that I saw that, uh, again, I, I don't want to just go through and read articles to you because you can do that yourself, but a lot of these kind of spark thoughts in my head that um, I really don't need to read more than the article to kind of be like, oh, you know what? I want to look into that. But uh, this is an article by Brennan Rupp uh, from Packers Wire. It says, Georgia on his mind, what bulldog could Packers GM Brian Gutekunst select in 2023? I know we already have a draft show, but um, I do what I want. I thought that was a pretty interesting question. Obviously, there's, it's it's not super serious, it's kind of more for fun to just assume there's going to be some athletic Georgia guy that Brian Gutekunst is going to select first. And I would say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, we don't know who's going to be available in and around the areas that the Packers are going to be looking. Secondarily, it's kind of a needs-based thing. What are the biggest Packers' needs? So you look at the board that's available, you look at the Packers' needs, and then I would say third is the Packers probably really like the Georgia defense because it's built with guys that they like. These are, first of all, it's a really successful winning program. And they're just loaded with hyper-athletic players. I'm not positive that Georgia's even going to be the best defense in football last year. I'm kind of looking at Alabama. So then the question is, are they still looking at Georgia because of the, the scheme that they run, because of the culture at Georgia? Or is it more, you know, we want the best players from the best programs? I mean, either way, you're getting winning culture and all that. But it's, it's just, these are just extra thoughts. But again, this is more just kind of for fun. I guess it is kind of interesting, though, because if it is more or less just the program, would it be impossible that they go get a Georgia offensive player, offensive lineman, wide receiver for the same reasons? Say they got an, a super athletic wide receiver. You still get the winning culture, still get all that stuff. Maybe. I don't know. But anyways, it's worth looking at. And I think maybe tomorrow I want to spend a little bit more time kind of digging into this generally, kind of doing a recap as far as prospects. Again, I know some of you are not interested in that, but it's the off season. You're going to have to deal with some stuff. So wherever my interests lie, that's what we're talking about. But for today, just as kind of a primer, I want to look at some of these Georgia players. Um, as of right now, there are still a lot of options, which which kind of also works in the favor of, of Georgia and the Packers picking a Georgia player because it also comes down to, is somebody going to be available that's kind of in your range that's a need? Well, if there's a billion players available at a bunch of different positions, the probability is higher, at least here, than somewhere else. Or any one other place, I should say. Uh, Jalen Carter is is the big name right now. The, the, the thing about Jalen Carter is he's a defensive lineman that's better than the defensive lineman they had. And obviously they had two defensive linemen go in the first round. One of them is a Green Bay Packer right now. But the hype around those two guys was pretty remarkable. And for Jalen Carter to be seen as a better prospect, and it's early, we'll see how that plays out. But the way that I've thought of Jalen Carter is that he is, if you take Devontae Wyatt, you make him younger and remove the off-field situation, you got Jalen Carter. Maybe that's just me being too optimistic about Devontae Wyatt and how good he is, but that's what I'm saying. Um, at number 11 overall, I'm using the uh, just an aggregate big board. They've got a guy by the name of Kelly Ringo. Not positive that's how you say his first name. But he is a cornerback, and I would say the odds of taking another Georgia quarterback cornerback are fairly low. Um, we've got two 
first round corners on the team that are going to be with us for quite a long time. So that's pretty unlikely. So Jalen Carter's probably gone too soon. Mr. Ringo, um, both too soon as of right now and unlikely. But then you get to Nolan Smith, who is an edge rusher. And obviously a lot of people are very concerned about our edge. We have Rashawn. We have Preston, at least for now. We don't have a lot of depth. We don't really know what Preston's future holds. And so although it's easy at, you know, in June to look at it and say, well, he's he's projected to go 15th overall. He won't be there. Things are going to be wildly different. First of all, we don't know that we're not picking at 15th. And second of all, um, Nolan Smith could end up being a second or third round pick by the time this is all over with. So he's worth mentioning. And the, the, the idea that he wouldn't slide, you know, seven spots to, to where the Packers might be picking or to 32 if you insist on me being overly optimistic. Of course it's possible. But uh, Nolan Smith listed at 6'3", 235, smaller, leaner, speedier type of guy. A little smaller than the Packers typically like, although we don't really know what the prototypical Joe Barry edge rusher looks like. At least I don't know what that would be. We know what um, Mike Pettin liked, and we know the NFL is generally trending toward the bigger guys as opposed to these quick, speedy guys, whatever. But um, Nolan in 2022 is really going to be important what he does because he had a really big breakout year in 2021. Um, if he can stay at this level or improve, he's going to go real early. If he regresses a little bit, that'll be a problem. But uh, the biggest thing with Nolan is he had a bunch of really big games. He still had a couple bad ones against Auburn, 53 overall grade, uh, a couple 60s mixed in. But um, if we, let me sort by this because I'm getting cut off here, 89, or call it a 90 against Carol, South Carolina, 84 against Vanderbilt, 83 against Michigan, 80 against Tennessee, 79 against Arkansas, 76 against Alabama, and, and against top-tier competition as well. 28 pressures on 256 attempts. Now, from college standpoint, that's not the most elite thing in the world. It's over 10%, which is fine. You know, if, if he was just a Packers edge rusher, I would say that's that's good. But you generally want a little bit more than that, or you hope for a little bit more than that. Uh, he also had seven sacks. So honestly, I think that the bottom line with, with Nolan is that it's a projection. He, he fits the mold. He's a Georgia guy. Checks all the boxes. But you're going to need to be able to see this and probably even some improvement. Because the numbers just aren't super great. Although, it could be a Trayvon Walker situation in which, you know, it's all about upside and maybe not necessarily the production. But that's kind of where we're at with him. So... Assuming he checks all the athletic boxes, I would say that's somebody to keep an eye on for the Packers, for sure. After that, they got a guy by the name of Eric Gilbert, who's actually a tight end. Again, the question kind of revolves around, if we're, if we're trying to stick with the trends of Georgia, does that extend to Georgia's offense? And it's hard to understand why the answer to that wouldn't be yes, again, unless it's really just a, a really airtight scheme fit. And this is assuming that all this isn't wildly a coincidence to begin with and has nothing to do with Georgia. Gilbert, again, is going to be another really, really big projection because he hasn't really played all that much. So it's based on a very limited um, sample size, but 6'5", 248, didn't play last year, but did play the year prior. Um, Blocking was somewhat mediocre. It's actually quite poor as a pass blocker, but I think that's sort of common. Run blocking was decent. And as a receiver, he only had 300 yards, 368, and two touchdowns, but that's because he only played, not that it's a good thing, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. So again, um, a lot of projection in terms of this guy's really, really talented, and if he can be healthy, he's going to blow up this year, and he's going to go real early. But I think my biggest issue with this is, first of all, again, these are all red flags, right? The guy played not even, or maybe about a half a year in 2020, did not play in 2021. 
Um, but then on top of that, are the Packers going to be taking a tight end in the first round? Probably not. Um, if we're talking, does he fall into the second round? Fine, but that's kind of not really what we're looking at right now. So I would guess this probably is an extremely unlikely scenario. Although Packers do care a lot about tight end, I do think it's going to be somewhat of a need. I know there's a lot of differing thoughts on that. Some people are really excited about, uh, you know, Tyler Davis is is the answer. Other people are still holding out for Robert Tunyon or, or believe that he already is some elite tight end. A um, couple, couple of us Josiah truthers out there. But the Packers have a lot of different roles as far as tight ends. Uh, my understanding, they have three different kinds of tight ends. And so I, I don't know, again, I don't know if it's it's worthy of a first-round pick, but I know it's incredibly important. And if you're talking about especially a, a, a receiving option, so let's say things with Tunyon are not really working out, because I know DeGuara is not necessarily that guy. Tyler Davis, I don't know. But again, let's just say that doesn't really pan out. Would it be impossible? I don't, I don't think so. He'd have to be real, real good, which again, if he's real, real good, I don't know if he makes it to the Packers, but it's hard to say. It's hard to say as, as things begin to change, as, as you start to see the defense become more talented than the offense for the first time in a long time. If that, in fact, happens, maybe the priority shifts more to drafting offense, which means maybe you start to see more offensive talent go in the first the, the early rounds as opposed to strictly defense and then pick up some offensive players in the middle rounds. But then there's still the positional value of tight end. So I don't know. I would lean toward very unlikely. Um Offensive tackle, I, I, at this time, I don't think is an option. They've got Broderick Jones here, um, projected second round, but still, obviously, I mean, Packers in the first round, what do they do? They take second round Georgia guys, at least projected second round Georgia guys. So they, these are clearly within the realm. But, you know, trying to be relatively optimistic, we have David Bakhtiari, we have Elton Jenkins. I like to believe that they're in good shape. I, I think we keep taking swings in the middle rounds at offensive line. We continue to find gems even if it's once every other year that's like a quality starter and then just build up the depth i think we've got a pretty good strategy that we may already have an offensive line i mean assuming the tackles are there we know we have a center if if we, we just need two guards out of this pile of talent that we have and i know the packers already like runyon a lot so i'm going to scratch broderick jones off the the two guys i do really want to talk about one of them's technically a fourth rounder but i'm just going to throw them in there anyways they're a third and a fourth rounder so far we'll we'll see how their projections go but it's the Smith twins. They're, I don't believe they're twins. I don't believe they're even brothers, but I'm going to call them that because they both have the same last name. Tyreek, I'm sorry, Tyke, not Tyreek, Tyke Smith, uh, projected 65th overall, third round projection, safety, and Chris Smith, safety, uh, 128 overall, fourth round is his current projection. Looking at the Georgia defense, Chris Smith um, was ranked as the sixth highest graded player on this defense. And I actually went back to 2020 because it's kind of funny because Eric Stokes and Devontae Wyatt are on this team. Eric Stokes was ranked ninth. Devontae Wyatt was ranked eighth. Chris Smith, sixth. Jordan Davis, fourth. Man, I just I feel like I'm looking at just a, 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 a draft list. Uh, you got Lewis Seen here is ranked 11th. Jalen Carter is 12th. Channing Tindall is 13th. Uh, Trayvon Walker is 15th. Nakobe Dean is 17th. You got Nolan Smith, who we were just talking about, is 19th. Just insane, this defense. But the reason I wanted to bring up the Smiths, and, and particularly Chris Smith, is because safety, I think, makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. I mean, I just I think it's a need. I think the value is there positionally. I think um, 
you know, you've obviously got the Georgia defense thing. You, you've got a position where athleticism is going to make a big difference. We know that the Packers love, especially in their DBs, that just elite athleticism, especially the speed. You can find that with these guys. Um, going forward to 2021, everybody took a big step. I mean, the, the Georgia defense had like four top-tier guys. Um, they have 12 that ranked in the 80s or higher on this defense alone, including Devontae Wyatt and Nicobe Dean, who were in the 90s for this defense. So with that, Chris Smith is down here at 13th, but uh, he still was 77 overall grade. So he got better, but just went further down the list because everybody else got better. In fact, Lewis Seen leapfrogged him. So it was Chris Smith and Lewis Seen were the two safeties. Seen ended up sort of being that number one guy, but Chris Smith was right there behind him. And it looks as though it's it's similar usage. Um, if you look at their alignments and everything else, so, I mean, if you were a fan of Lewis Seen, and I'm not saying they're the same kind of player or anything like that, but... Um, it's not as though one was the strong safety, one was the free safety necessarily, because again, the alignments are very similar. Different amount of snap counts because Seen played more, but generally about the same. And whereas Lewis Seen um, maybe was a slightly better tackler, if you look at NFL passer ratings, Lewis Seen 80.7 passer rating, Chris Smith 53.8. Lewis Seen on the season had given up 37 receptions, 393 yards, and a touchdown. He had one interception, seven pass breakups, so that's pretty phenomenal. Chris Smith, um, 18 receptions for 130 yards. He gave up one touchdown, had three interceptions, and two pass breakups. So that would be the guy that I would probably want to circle the most as far as if you told me today, pick a guy the Packers are taking, I'm going to go with Chris Smith. Right, I mean, it's it's beyond a shot in the dark, and as I said, he's currently a third-round project projection. But I'm looking at a Georgia defender. I'm looking at, at a guy that's following in Lewis Seen's mold. I'm looking at a guy that got better from year one to year two. And if he can take another leap into year three, you got Georgia defense. You presumably have the athleticism because you're not going to play on Georgia's defense unless you can fly. Um, you've got the positional uh, value. You've got the positional need for the Green Bay Packers. So. Um, it's a little bit of a long shot, a lot of bit of a long shot. Literally anybody you pick is a long shot. But that would be the one I'm probably the most interested in keeping an eye on right now is Mr. Christopher Smith of the Georgia Bulldogs. So save this one. My first, call it my first mock draft, <laughs> fake mock draft. Actually, actually, it's not my first, but we're going to say it's my first projection of the Packers pick next year is Christopher Smith safety Georgia. But anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Again, sorry the episode was a little bit late, but uh, had stuff going on, etc, etc. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.